Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. Today's guest, you know, I was one day I was just playing around online and on social media, and I heard some music from this person, and I started listening. I thought, wow, that's pretty good. Like, who is this person? And so after listening to him, it was pretty clear to me that I think this guy's going to be a considerable force to reckon with in the contemporary jazz world going forward. He spent some 10 years performing all around the world as part of the U.S. Navy band. He got out of the Navy in May of 2021, and just two short months later, he was breaking into the Billboard Top 20 with his single All the Way, which is a collaboration with bassist and friend of the show, Julian Vaughn. His first album, All In, was produced by hit-making artist and producer Adam Hawley and features artists like Jonathan Fritzen and Kiely Minucci. Please welcome to the show saxophonist Jason Jackson. Jason, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, man. First of all, thank you for your service. Oh, it was my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. How long were you in the Navy? I did 10 years. Yeah, okay. 10 years and, and three duty stations. Okay, three duty stations. Where were you stationed? So I started in New Orleans. I did three years there. Then I moved to Japan and did four years in Japan and then came back to Norfolk uh, where I did three years, got out there and I'm kind of living in the area. I'm living in Chesapeake now, which is, you know, basically the Norfolk area. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you, man. So tell me what it's like being, you know, playing in the Navy band. Like that's got to be kind of a a cool and interesting uh, thing all at the same time. Yeah, it really is. I because it's it's kind of a strange mix, you know, like the rigid structure of the military, right? Sometimes clashes with the creative side of of playing, and so, so it's definitely it took a little getting used to. But you know, in the end, it was worth it because you know we got to travel all over the world, you know, see all these places I would have never been able to go to without it and play. And another thing is all the different styles of music you play, right? You might you might be playing in like a ceremonial band, playing military marches in the morning, then in the afternoon being a New Orleans style brass band, and then in the evening, you know, you're playing a rock band show with you know. Like, so you know, it's it's definitely a great experience for sure. So was that part of your grand plan? Like, did you did you go into the military thinking, hey, I want to be a musician in the military or did you go into the military thinking I want to go in and serve and do other things and how did that all how did that all come about so I had auditioned in order to get in so I was accepted into the music program before I enlisted so okay. that's kind of how that works is you go ahead gotcha. and get your like yeah you get your guarantee of where you're going and then you go enlist so that was definitely the military wasn't really a plan it just kind of happened but the musician part definitely was planned out. Yeah. So did you know early on as a youngster that you wanted to be a musician? Yes. Yeah. Probably from about the time I was in sixth grade. Wow. Okay. 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 Did you come from a musical background, musical family, or was it just a, a gift that you that you felt like you had in yourself? You know, my, my dad played saxophone a little bit, uh, like in middle school, maybe some high school, never anything past that, but he always had a, a saxophone sitting in his closet. And, you know, I would see this old dusty case and, you know, I, I don't know, maybe that sparked something in me. But yeah. I started playing clarinet in sixth grade. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, one Saturday afternoon, I was at home watching TV and, and the Blues Brothers was on. Ah, okay. And uh, there was that scene, you know, where they're in the restaurant and Aretha starts singing mm-hmm. and, you know, the uh, Blue Lou, the, he was cleaning the tables <laughs> and he like rips his apron off and the next scene it cuts to him and he's like on the counter 
uh-huh. you know, playing a sax solo. And, and I was like, wow, you can't really do that on a clarinet. So uh-huh. I need, that needs to be me. So I need to switch <laughs> to saxophone. So that, that was kind of where like, you know, it really started was all kind of sparked from that one scene in the blues brothers. That's so. all right, man. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Now, that's a pretty good movie, a pretty classic one. So and that's a pretty classic scene in that movie. So that's all right. So you collaborate with lots of different artists on your, on your day de- debut release. How did those collaborations come about? So on on the my very first EP, Moving On, which Adam Hawley produced, it originally started, we had this kind of 90s R&B feeling track on there. It was all the way. And uh, Adam, like in the kind of pre-production, he had kind of played this, you know, melodic bass line over it, like with the with the melody I was playing. And he kind of had the idea. He's like, hey, you know, we can we should replace my bass on this, you know, with my buddy Julian. Let's see if he'll be interested. And so we reached out to Julian and he was all in to do it. Yeah. And, uh, man, I remember when he sent me that track back and Adam kind of mixed it in for me to hear. I was just smiling ear to ear because, <laughs> you know, just like just added so much. And then from then on, just seeing how much that added and not just making the song better, but now I have a relationship with Julian. Right, right. So, you know, it's kind of a win win. Like they they play on your track. He sounds so much better with them on it. And then you kind of have a relationship with them going afterward. Yeah. What would you say you've learned from some of the artists you've worked with that are helping to shape your career? I would probably say over deliver. Okay. okay. You know, because all those guys, like, they always gave us too much stuff. We had to cut. So it's like, it was, that was kind of the hard decision. It was never, oh, we don't have enough to, f- to fill what we need. It was always, man, what are we going to cut? You know, we can't squeeze all this great stuff in there. So that's, you know, a, a mindset that I kind of take in now when I'm, especially if I'm ever doing anything for other people as well, I always try to like, you know, give them too much, make them decide what they want instead of like, oh, I guess I'll take this and that. But that's a really, I think that's a really good and really important lesson too, because that's one of the things I've found too in working with artists, you know, that is the really, really good ones. They're so passionate about their craft that they're always like, they're never satisfied. <laughs> you know, they're always doing more. They always want to make it a little bit better. And, and that's a really cool thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. I find myself like, you know, when Adam and I are working on a tune, like me hitting them up and being like, hey, you you want me to redo that? Like, I think I need to redo that. Like this little thing wasn't quite, and, you know, finally he's got to say, hey, no, it, it's OK. <laughs> you know, we got it. We got it. It's in the can. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's definitely always that sense of I can make it, you know, this much better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But and sometimes I, sometimes it just has to be done. Right. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that's true. But it's a good it's good to have that that sense about yourself that, hey, you want it to be the best it can possibly be. That's always a good thing. And that shows up certainly in the music and on the stage and all those things. So, I mean, so, you know, I mean, coming out of the military in 2021, you've already had a a good amount of success. You're getting your name out there. You're getting recognized and noticed. You're getting airplay and all those good things, right? Getting on the charts. So, like, did you come out of the military with some set goals for your music career? Or are you setting goals now for your music career? Or are you you letting it come to you and just letting it happen as it happens? So it kind of started, like, I knew I wanted to make a record yeah. when I got out. And that was it as far as goals. I was, you know, just, it was 2020, right? Everybody was home. And I, I had been thinking about making a record for a long time. I was getting out of the military soon, like within a year or so. And I was like, so now's the time to really start, you know, looking for somebody to help produce. And because I knew a little bit about producing and writing, but I really wanted it to be good. So I wanted to collaborate. And I thought to myself, well, every great producer is home right now because nobody's out gigging. So I was looking around and I was like, who who do I want to reach out to? And I stumbled across Adam Hawley's Instagram page. And he had all these, 
great tracks that he was working on. And, you know, I had known Adam from before by listening to him. Like I already knew he was a, you know, he's a big shot. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I, you know, I was like, okay. And I saw his email address, you know, in his Instagram profile. And I was like, kind of thought I was like, well, I could email him and ask him, but like, I'm a little scared to do that because, <laughs> you know, who am I? And and look at him. So I was kind of laying there. It was, it was around probably 1230 at night. I was kind of laying in bed okay. on my phone, messing around, just kind of, you know, mulling it over. And I, Finally wrote him an email, sent him like a link to a little demo. And then I kind of hovered over the send button. I was like, that that, that kind of imposter syndrome kicked in. I was yeah. like, who, who do I think I am like reaching out to Adam Hawley? And so I deleted it and put the phone down and laid down, but I just couldn't sleep, right? I was just tossing uh-huh. and turning. And so I just picked the phone back up, sent the email again, you know, put the phone down, laid down. And five minutes later, you know, I hear my phone buzz and I pick it up and he had emailed me back. He's like, yeah, I'm listening to your demo right now. He's like, you know, everything sounds great. Said, hey, I'd love to work with you, produce a record with you. Call me tomorrow. Okay. And that was kind of the start of Adam and I working together. Now, now he can't get rid of me. I'm yeah. calling him and, you yeah. know, we talk probably, you know, four or five times a week. So yeah. that was definitely uh, the start of everything. That's awesome. It's funny how you talk about that because, you know, like one of the things I've learned, and we've had Adam at our Fresh Coast Jazz Festival, and I found him to be just the nicest guy. And in this genre of music, that's another thing. And Julian is a friend. And, Again, just a nice person, a really good person, right? And that's one of the things I find in this genre is that, you know, these people who are these big, huge stars are some of the nicest, most down-to-earth people. Like, they don't have the egos you think they might have. They're super approachable and super easy to work with and deal with. Yeah, exactly. I, I had the pleasure of playing at uh, Marcus Anderson's Majace a couple of months ago. And, you know, that was actually the first time I met Julian face to face. He had played on the record, but I'd never met him. So I met him and Nicholas Cole and uh, JJ Sanseverino, Rebecca Jade, and even Mr. Talkbox was there. So, but all those people were just like so warm and genuine. Like it really took me by surprise, like how every single one of them was just so great. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's take a listen to that collaboration you did with Julian. Here is All The Way.
All right, everybody, that was today's guest, Jason Jackson, featuring Julian Vaughn with his breakout hit, All the Way. So your debut featured mostly original songs, but talk to us about your so talk to us about your process for creating original music. Like, how does that start? How is it inspired? Something I learned when I was kind of touring around the world in the Navy was we were playing for all these different people, and a lot of them didn't speak any English. Right. So there was really no way for us to communicate with them, but for the music we were playing with them. And I kind of found out that once we started playing a song that had a little groove to it, it, it was like we were talking to these people like that was seemed to be like the universal thing. They started moving and they started smiling and we were communicating a little bit. And so we kind of had a little joke in the Navy. We were like, hey, man, groove supersedes all. Yeah, that's cool. That's kind of has kind of become my little my motto and my catchphrase or whatever, like when I'm writing, when I'm playing, like grooves supersedes everything. Yeah. Um. So that's really what I'm thinking about when I'm writing. It's just got to feel good. That's awesome. You know, from the bottom up. That is awesome. That is awesome. So what about covers? How do you go about choosing songs you want to remake? That's tough because there's so many good songs that you like out there. Yeah. Really, it just kind of comes to you. Like, I know we did a uh, Joe cover on my uh, yeah. All In record. Oh, yeah. And that just came about like Adam was in his car listening to you know the R&B station. And then he calls me. He's like, hey, I just heard this song. And he's like, I, I heard you playing over it. And I listened to it. I was like, yeah, OK, that's definitely got the vibe I'm after. Because, you know, I always kind of joke around and say, you know, all my music is like the perfect mix of groove and smooth. So yeah, I don't want it yeah. to be too smooth, <laughs> but it's got to have a little groove in there. Right. Yeah. So that was like the perfect cover. Uh, and it definitely kind of fell into that 90s R&B kind of vibe. There. Yeah. So were you so, you know, that's that's true, because listening to your music, there is definitely there is definitely an R&B sensitivity, a little funk sensitivity. There's the jazz sensitivity. There's other styles like what what were you listening to growing up? Were you listening to all kinds of stuff or was all kinds of stuff playing in your house or was, you know, what were your favorites? So this, this is another kind of funny story. I, you know, growing up, I never really had any sense of direction on where I wanted to you know, what I like to listen to, I didn't really know. It was basically whatever the kids were listening to, right? So, you know, in the 80s, early 90s, who knew what I was listening to? Maybe some new kids on the block or something. I don't know. But I, I was uh, trick-or-treating, strangely enough. You know, it was one of my first years going out with just my me and my friends, right? And we're going around the neighborhood and we come to this house, knock on the door. This big guy answers the door. He's not looking happy at all. You can tell like maybe his wife and kids were out doing their thing. And they made him stay home and hand stuff out, right? So he wasn't happy about it. He probably just wanted to be watching the game. Uh-huh. But, you know, and then we, you know, trick or treat. And they, he gives, you know, my friends something, some candy, the next person candy. Then I step up to him and he just kind of looks at me and kind of scowls at me a little bit. And he walks away from the door. He doesn't close it. He just walks away. And about 15 or probably 10 seconds later, he comes back and he's got this kind of square thing in his hand. What? And he just and he just drops it in my bag. Huh. And, you know, I walk away and I pull it out and see what is this thing? It was a CD. It was a Luther Vandross CD. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what it was about the way I looked or the way I sounded, but he decided I needed a Luther Vandross CD in my life. But that was a kind of a changing moment for me because wow. I went home and put it in. And from then on out, I was everything was R&B and, you know, groove based. And I just, you know, so a strange thing like that can really that, change the course of your life. <laughs> that is a cool story. Have you ever thought about trying to find that guy and letting that guy know, hey, man, I'm a musician now. And part of it's because you dropped that Luther Vandross CD in my, in my trick or treat bag. 
Yeah, I was actually back home not too long ago, driving through my old neighborhood, and I, I was like, "Where was that house?" And I uh-huh. couldn't even remember like okay. exactly where it was. <laughs> okay, okay, that is super, super cool, though. That is super, super cool. See, somebody like that, there was something going on there. There was some, there was something going on there where that guy knew he knew something. Something was put on his heart and his spirit that says, "Hey, yeah, this this young man has got a gift." So. Well, or the opposite. He's like, this guy looks like he needs a little direction. <laughs> That's what I, I'm le- I always lean toward. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you just. I don't think you just drop Luther on any kid, right? There's got to be something special because a lot of kids you drop. You, you can't drop Luther on kids. Most kids get some Luther and they'd be like, "What the heck is this?" Right? Throw it away, <laughs> yeah. right? So there had to yeah. be something that he saw in you to make him say, "Let me give this kid some Luther." Yeah, no, I I, uh, I am very appreciative that he did. That's pretty cool. That's a great story. That's a great story. So. Having toured so much and time working in the studio, do you have a preference? Do you prefer being out there on stage or do you prefer being in the studio creating new music? I think the more I get out there and play play out live, the more I like it. I do know that the two have to work together. Yeah. Because, you know, the the records get you the airplay that gets you the opportunity to do the gigs. And then, you, you know, doing the gigs gets you a little bit of a fan base, which helps your records, you know, helps you get spins. So I, I have definitely kind of realized that those all kind of work together. But yeah, the more I've been getting out there playing, especially at some of these festivals and things like, man, that's just, you can't beat that. That's just so much fun getting, getting, then getting to meet everybody afterward that, you know, maybe you've seen on Facebook a lot and talked to on social media. And then you finally meet them for the first time and it's like, you've known them forever. And yeah, it's such a, it's such a small community that I found like with mm-hmm. this genre, like, that's you know, everybody true. knows everybody and it's, it's really great the, the way the, the fan interaction is. Yeah, that is really true that everybody knows everybody and it is a, it is a pretty small genre. So, so for, do you have any pre-show routines or post-show routines like before you go out on stage? Like how, how you feeling? What do you like? You know, really the only, I just don't eat that. That's it. <laughs> like I okay. never take the meal before uh, yeah. I always try to stay light. Um, you know, just making sure I always make sure I take care of the band before the show. Like, hey, what's your Venmo? What's your PayPal? So that you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so so they're all done. So they're happy. Yeah. They're paid. They're they're like, yeah, let's do it. You know, and yeah. <laughs> so that's always something that's on my mind before the show. Hey, let me make sure the guys are good. Yeah. Before the show even happens. So, you know, they can go on and do what they need to do after. Cause you know, you, you always get caught up with after the show, you gotta kind of tear your gear down real quick and then you gotta go out and try and, and you know, meet everybody, sell some CDs. And so always make sure, you know. Take care of them. Make sure they eat all that stuff. Make sure they're happy because, you know, you definitely want them happy with you. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's wise. That's really smart. That's really smart. So what was it like for you, Jason, the first time you heard one of your songs on radio? Oh, wow. Uh, it was really unbelievable. Right. Like I kind of suffer from imposter syndrome pretty good. Like, you know, I don't <laughs> what am I doing? And, but then but to hear that, it's like. Wow, I can't even believe it. And then, you know, on, you know, if, especially if you hear it on satellite radio, you know, it's got everything kind of your name and the song title up there and just completely unbelievable, especially like thinking that, oh, wow, two months ago I was, you know, in the military and now I'm, you know, be, being played on. And especially, you know, when the when the host or something will give you a bump and or say your name or something, it's just like, whoa. <laughs> But, you know, the funny thing is, is that every time you hear it, it's the same feeling for me. Like, even if it's like the 15th time I've heard that particular single on the radio, it's like, wow. Yeah. Like it never, it never diminishes at all. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Well, and I'm going to tell you, man, I think you can, I think you can put, put the imposter syndrome to rest, man, because you got it and it sounds like you're going to be around for a minute, dude. 
Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, so Jason, we have this segment on this that we do on the show. It's called Bout It or Doubt It. If you're about it, it's something that you're feeling, that you're into. If you doubt it, it's something you're not into. Can we twist your arm and get you to do a little Bout It or Doubt It with us today? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I started this body body. If you bout it, get him up. I mean you body body. I mean body. We say you body body. I represent. I doubt it. All right. So, Jason, what we're going to do is we're going to spin the wheel and we're going to get you a category. Then we're going to ask you a couple of about it or doubt it questions, okay? All right. All right. All right, Jason, your category today is food and drink. All right, about right. it or doubt it, tequila. Uh, used to be about it. Okay, okay, used to be about Lately, it. Lately, yeah, past 10 years, doubt Yeah, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> you know, I lived in New Orleans for three years. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah, New Orleans is one of those towns, man. It's like, you know, like I, like... New Orleans and Vegas for me, like I got a three day limit. You like I can't, yeah. I can't stay much longer than three days because it's just too much. <laughs> it's just too much going on, you know. Yeah, and yeah, I can imagine in New Orleans the tequila and a little bit of everything else is flowing a little bit too much. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially if you live there for three years straight. Like yeah. I think I got my lifetime of uh, three day weekends in. No <laughs> right kidding. <there. laughs> no kidding, man. Yeah, I suppose. Like when you live in a city like that, all your friends always want to come visit and then they want they expect you to go hang out and party with them all the time. And then you got to go back to reality as soon as they leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. But another thing about but about one thing about New Orleans though, some some great food there though. Great food. Absolutely. Great Absolutely. food there. So that's one thing. All right. How about we ask you one more about it or, or doubt it question? About it or doubt it, Asian cuisine. Well, you were you served in Asia, so I did, but man, doubt it for me. Like okay. I, okay. I uh I had the least sophisticated palate on the planet. Okay, you know? okay. Uh, Burgers and fries for me. Uh, uh-huh. My wife loved it. You know, all the, you know, the the real authentic sushi and the, all the, you know, just everything over there just tastes different. To yeah. Me, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of the things I struggle with because I don't eat seafood either. Oh, okay. 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 So, I, you know, it was hard. It was definitely harder for me to eat over there, but yeah. my wife loved it. So yeah. it, it was worth it for her there. I can, I can always find something, you know, eat a protein bar or something. Okay. I'll be all okay. right. <laughs> okay. So were you a staple at the American restaurants when you were over in Asia or were you? No, cause really the American restaurants over there really tasted. They had that Asian okay. thing going on with uh-huh. them. Um, uh-huh. So I, I would eat, there was definitely some Asian food that I liked, like the ramen okay. you know, was amazing over there. Um, like they have this like fried pork chop, like katsu. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, I've seen katsu. Uh, yeah. I'm familiar with that. That stuff's yep. amazing. You know, yakitori, which is like the beef or chicken on a stick uh-huh. and you know, all the hibachi type stuff that you yeah. can do. So that, there were a lot of options, but yeah, I, I had to, I had to always look around a little bit because there were a lot of things I had to avoid too. Yeah. Yeah. understand. I understand completely. So Jason, how much time do you spend practicing your craft? I try to play as much as possible. Uh, I teach, a lot now uh, on the side as well. So I'm always playing, if not just for me to hone my my own playing or if I'm recording or, you know, working on a show, I'm playing things so that I can teach those things as well. Because um, sometimes, you know, there might be like something that I haven't done since college that I'm trying to teach somebody. So I, I, I kind of got to work that back up so that I can relate that properly to whoever I'm teaching as well. So yeah, yeah definitely a couple hours a day putting in on something. Okay. Okay. Who would you say are some of your some of the saxophonists that have inspired you? 
The biggest one for sure was David Sanborn. Yeah. I used to exclusively be a tenor player, you know, in high school and college. And then I, I, you know, heard David Sanborn play a tune called Slam. And like that just triggered something in me. I was like, that is what a saxophone needs to sound like. And from then on out, like I kind of started shying away from tenor and picking up the alto more and more. And then I just kind of crossed completely over into being an alto player. So definitely David Sanborn. And then Eric Marienthal has been a huge influence on me as well. I've been lucky enough to been able to study with him for quite a while. And so I have definitely learned a ton from him. And he's definitely a role model for me on really everything, sound, technique, work ethic, all that. So That's definitely cool. that. And then of course, you know, there's all the other guys, you know, the Kirk Whalem, Gerald Albright, yeah. Dave Cos, like there's just so many. Najee. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so many. There really are a bunch of great sax funds. But I tell you, there's something about David Sanborn because I was I've told the story many times, but you know, I was a I think a sophomore or junior in high school and one Saturday morning my brother and I both had brick bedrooms in the basement of our house and my brother always had the new music and I'm hearing something coming from his room and I'm like, What the heck is that? That is cool. I run over and listen listen it's David Sanborn, wake me when it's over. And it's like I had never heard anything like that before. And from that time I was a huge fan, right? And yeah, there's there's some of the, you know a lot of his music is just iconic that way, and just you know like there's something about it that just like man, I never heard anybody do that before. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, one of those kind of one of a kind sounds for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how important is it for you to understand the business of music? as well as perfecting your craft as a musician? I would say at, at least equally, if, if not more important at this stage. Yeah. Because especially when you're an independent artist and doing everything yourself, like there's so much to think about from getting this contract signed to, oh, I got to, you know, I got to do social media. I got to do graphic design to put something up on my page. I got to edit some video to make, you know, to promote this and that. Like, it's just so many things. You kind of have to be a jack of all trades. And there's definitely a learning curve to it. But I am finding the more that I do things, the more I'm kind of figuring out how to segment things. Like, okay, maybe for these three hours, I'm going to just spend on the horn working on recording some stuff. And then, you know, the afternoon I'm going to spend on putting together some graphics for social media, maybe putting together some videos. Then maybe the last hour or two of the day, I'm going to, you know, reach out to some contacts and see if I can, you know, get some interest in playing at some clubs or festivals that are coming up or, you know, try and get my name out there a little bit. And that's probably the hardest part at, at this point in my career is, is because all the club owners and festival promoters, I'm really kind of cold calling. So really just kind of trying to get that warm relationship going with those guys is definitely the number one challenge, but also probably the most important thing that I'm doing. No doubt. No doubt. Are there lessons that you've learned about the business aspect of it that you would tell other artists to be mindful of? I would say the biggest lesson will will be always be a student. You know, with the internet and YouTube and everything, you can figure out how to do almost anything. Yeah, you really can. So with a little bit of time and effort put in, and you know, you might have to spend a little money to either buy like a little course or maybe buy a computer program or something. But in the long run, if you learn whatever skill it is that you would usually farm out, you know, hire somebody to do, it kind of pays pays for itself tenfold if you kind of learn how to do it a little bit and try try and do it at least try and learn it and do it on your own before you just say, Oh, I'm gonna just hire an assistant to do that, or I'm gonna hire a designer or to at least try to and and then that way if you do end up even having to hire somebody to do it at least you understand the process a little bit you can probably communicate what you want a little better and all that kind of stuff so that, that would be that's a really good point because it is it, it you're so right there's so much that has to be done and you, and you and with the advent of technology you certainly can 
find just about anything. So you can make it happen on your own if you need to do that. So that's that's really good advice. That's really good advice. Well, let's take a listen to to that song you you did with one of your mentors, Eric Marienthal. How about on the move?
All right, everybody, you just heard Jason Jackson, today's guest, featuring Eric Marienthal with their song, On the Move. So what was it like working with Adam Hawley on having him produce your album? What was that process like? And, you know, what did you learn from, you know, being with Adam, who's worked for so many people? Yeah, working with Adam really was great. He's just such a professional. And we were kind of talking about that, juggling the music side and the business side. Uh, I'd say if there's somebody that really has that mastered, it's Adam. Because he's just like three steps ahead of me always. Yeah, okay. Like, uh, okay. you know, when I, I, I we start working on something, I'll send him, hey, what do you think about this? Like, you know, within 20, 30 minutes, he's got, you know, he's he's kind of layered it into the track and offered his feedback and even, you know, thrown some stuff in there too. So it's just so easy. Like you just send him the stuff and, you know, <laughs> and, he, and he's there, he's supporting you. He's, he's not just throwing all his ideas in there. He's kind of challenging you to stretch your ideas a little bit too. So it's definitely a, a collaboration for sure. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. So Jason, you've traveled the world, you've had, you know, really a couple of different careers now. So what advice would you give your 13 year old self about life, given all you've experienced so far? I would say, say yes. Ah, talk on usually. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. A lot of times an opportunity will come up and we'll be nervous about it or just in our own head a little bit and we'll turn it down. Mm hmm. I know I felt that way when I got offered my first show to play my original music. I I really was scared about it because it was opening for Marcus Anderson. Okay. So I was like, I don't want to play right before Marcus Anderson. plays. You know, my first ever show, like right before Marcus. Like I was really worried about that and nervous, but I said yes. Uh huh. And, you know, of course it went, went well. And, you know, I met Marcus and now, you know, you know, we're friends and he's a great person now. I've realized that, you know, he's, uh, He's uh he's not as scary as he was before. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like just listening to him and seeing it because if you've seen his live show, I mean he's he's just on point. Like, yeah, you know, he's yeah. got the dance moves and the bands and the matching suits. And I was you know, but yeah, if I wouldn't have said yes to that, you know, that wouldn't have I wouldn't have got my next gig, and I wouldn't have probably been invited to his festival a couple of months ago. So kind of swallow that fear and use if you're nervous or scared about an opportunity, use those feelings to prepare for it. Like have that in your mind when you're preparing for it. Because at the end of the day, you know, you're not going to remember the opportunity that you took and maybe didn't go all that well, but you will think back and go, man, what if I did take that opportunity? So say yes to, you know, things within reason. Sure. There's some things you want to say no to, but, uh, no, that's really yes, that's, a- <laughs> that's really good advice, though. That's really good advice. Because, yeah, we can get kind of locked in our way of thinking and sometimes talk ourselves out of really, really good opportunities that are out there for us. And I think, you know, it's funny. I was just kind of having a little bit of this conversation with my daughter who's getting ready to go off to college. And, you know, kind of the point I was making was like, believe in believe that what you have is sufficient, right? Always sufficient, right? And don't be afraid to take a step out there. That's a little, maybe a little bit uncomfortable, but that's good because that makes you rise to the occasion, right? Exactly. Yeah. So what's something that our listeners would be surprised to learn about you, man? Oh, man, that's a good question. Let's see. One of my very first teachers was James Brown's saxophone player. His name's uh, Leroy Harper. Yeah, okay. Um, And I studied with him for a while and my very first paid gig was actually playing with James Brown's band no but without Brown way. singing. So it was okay. Like the, yeah. That's pretty so cool. What was that, that experience was, like, man? Talk about intimidating. Like, you know, you're coming out of, you know, your high school band and then you go to this this sound check with all of James Brown's band. Yeah. You know, just as tight as they can be. And then, you know, and <laughs> you're getting paid to be there. It was, <laughs> you know, really, really a great experience. And you were in high school? 
I was uh, 17 years old. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Wow, that's that's a pretty amazing thing, though. Like, I mean, you're talking about guys who've done it all, right? You're playing with and for seven. How did they tap you? So, like I said, I was studying with Leroy, who was who was the sax player in the band, and they were coming to town because a lot of times when you know Mr. Brown wasn't touring, they would kind of tour on their own, as they called themselves, uh, Soul Power Posse. Uh huh. And so they would do you know do their show. So they were coming to my hometown, and Leroy was like, hey. I want to fill the horn section out with a couple of, you know, like a local trumpet player and another sax player. He's like, do you want to play that other sax part? And I was like, of course, you know? And, and, and so not only did I do the gig with him, but him and I kind of got together and we transcribed all the horn parts together and wrote out little charts for everybody. So it was like a whole experience for me. And then he even, you know, pay me a little bit. So. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool for a 17 year old man. Yeah. And, you know, kind of uh, set the, set the standard for me from an early you know, point in my life that, you know, I want to strive for this level of, you know, performance and everything. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So as a as a guy who's traveled quite a bit, are there favorite are there favorite spots that you have to travel to around the world? And what are some of those spots and why are they why are they your favorites? I think my I guess I have three standouts. First one's probably Australia. I was able to do Sydney, Brisbane and Darwin. So I think a lot of maybe what appealed to me about Australia at that time was that it was it's really similar to back home. Yeah, yeah, okay. And you know, I was when I was in Japan, I was there for four years, never came home, any of that. So like having something that was you know just a little reminiscent of home, like really was comforting to me. So Australia was definitely one of my favorites. Then Singapore by far was one of the greatest places I went to. Just a beautiful, beautiful place, and just everything runs like clockwork there. The huh. uh, you know, the trains, it's almost like Japan. Just everything is just clockwork and everything's so clean. And then the food's great there too. Okay. And then another one that kind of stood out to me was Vietnam. Ah, okay. I was really surprised when I saw what Vietnam, like it was, it was like just going to some resort, like the whole country was just absolutely stunning. And yeah, it was, and the people were amazing and the food was good. I got some really, really spicy like peppers. <laughs> I remember that <laughs> kind of hurt me for a little bit, but <laughs> I, yeah, and that just stands out as just just a great great time. But yeah. you know, everywhere I went to was a little different, and it all had their the things that I'll remember about it. But those three for sure, like I think back on. Yeah, often. that's pretty cool. Australia is one of those places definitely on my bucket list. I hope to get there sometime soon. Yeah, yeah look forward to that. So we got time to listen to one more song. How about we take a listen to the song that you did with uh, Gino Rosario, working it out.
right, again, everybody, that was Gino Rosario and our guest today, Jason Jackson, with Jason's tune, Working It Out. So, Jason, put you on the spot a little bit here, man. What are your three favorite albums of all time? What would you say they are? Oh, goodness. Okay, I'd say this old album from Kirk Whalem. Mm-hmm. It's called uh, Floppy Disc. Yep. I, I don't even think they, I don't even know if you can get it anymore. It was mm-hmm. like in the mid to late 80s. That, and then... Let's see. I got to say the best of David Sanborn. Yeah. Because that was one that I wore out. Oh, gosh. There's so, so many. I want to say Fuji's The Score. Oh, yeah. That's (laughs) a good one. Those are all really good ones, though. Those are all really good ones, you know? I think some of Kirk's earliest music is some of the... Yeah, I love Kirk, all all of his stuff. But his some of his earliest stuff is just like some real gems there, man. Like... I know like the promise is one that I like, man, I played that over and over and over and I still play it all the time, you know, and floppy disc is another good one. So, and you know, joined at the hip, the one he did with Bob James, another really, really solid one. So yeah, those are really good choices. Really, really good choices. All right. So another, another one to put you on the spot, dude. All right. Having a dinner party. You can invite any three people living or deceased who's coming to your dinner party and what's on the menu. Well, on the menu, we'll do surf and turf All because right. I, I'll eat the turf and everybody else can have the surf. There you go. There you go. Oh, goodness. That's tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'd probably say Luther, Luther's got to come. Yeah, that'd be cool. Then let's see. I got to have David Sanborn. He's got to be mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And then I'll say my wife because she'll be mad. Yeah, if I didn't invite there you go. That's smart. Smart man. <laughs> smart man. Smart man. <laughs> I cannot blame you for that. But that'd be, you know, like, imagine, I mean, imagine Luther and David getting together and putting a little something, something down right at the dinner table. Yeah, exactly. That would be super <laughs> cool, man. That would be super cool. You know, when you mentioned Luther, it, I, my mind went to, wow, that was one of the con- one of the people acts that I wish I, I never got a chance to see in concert that I really wish I would have gotten a chance to see. What about you? Who's somebody you never got a chance to see that you really wish you had a chance to see? Never got to see Prince. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. I almost did when I lived in New Orleans. He uh-huh. was doing a festival out there, and but just the tickets just got gouged up so much yeah. that I wasn't able to get them. Um but I always kind of regretted not seeing yeah, Prince yeah, before. yeah, yeah. He's a heck of a show. I I was blessed to see him a couple of times, and he was just phenomenal both times I saw him. I actually one night was at his club in the Twin Cities, and he was in there too. You know, and it's like it was just kind of like one of those like starstruck moments, right? Like I never talked to him or anything, but he was sitting over in a corner with his bodyguards, and I saw him from across the room. I was like, oh my god, that's Prince, that's Prince, you know. Yeah. (laughs) One of those crazy, crazy things. So, Jason, tell our listeners how they can find information about you and your music and and what's going on with you. Yeah, you can always come visit me at uh, jasonjacksonsax.com. And I also all my music's available on Amazon, all the streaming services, or you can get copies directly from my website. Basically, anywhere you can find music, I'll be there. Awesome. Awesome. And what do you got going on with yourself and your music for the rest of the year and next year? Uh, this week I'm heading out to Myrtle Beach Jazz Festival playing with Adam Hawley. Cool. Out there. Then uh, the day after that, I'm heading to Greenville doing a club called Blues Boulevard down there with Adam as well. Okay, cool. Then I got a couple of things cooking for next year, working on a performance at Middle Sea in Charlotte in February and also a, an appearance at Burke's in April. Oh, awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, so 
Yeah, we're working that out. So I'll be at Burks in April, and then I'll be hitting at Seabreeze with Adam in April as well. So next year's shaping up nicely. Yeah. Good for you, man. Well, hey, man, we really appreciate you coming on today. We want to wish you nothing but continued success, and we look forward to to watching your star rise, man. Uh, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you, everybody, for listening today. And be sure to get your tickets for the 2024 Fresh Coast Jazz Festival, August 23rd and 24th in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, headlined by Boney James this year. For tickets and information, visit freshcoastjazz.com or papstheatergroup.com. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, freshcoastjazz.com, to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. 